Sequel Cast 2 and Friends is a part of the HyperX Podcast Network. So deja vu. And yet it's obviously all wrong. Maybe this isn't the story we think it is. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast. And they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast. And your hosts have asked that I inform you that the show will now begin. Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast 2 and Friends, a podcast looking at movies in a franchise one film at a time. This time, you know, we do these every once in a while, like a sequel to come to something we talked about a long time ago, and we were kind of, you know, playing a, a catch-up, filling in the gap. This is one, you know, I never thought uh, a sequel to these movies would, would really come out, and it did. The Matrix Resurrections uh, just came out in 2021, directed uh, by Lena Wachowski. So um, only one of the Wachowskis, not both of them, like in the original Matrix trilogy, uh, written by Lena Wachowski, David Mitchell, and Alexander Hammond. Uh, based on characters created by the Wachowskis, uh, with me is Thrasher. We're the Warner Brothers, and are we the baddies? <laughs> and uh, Alex? Take the red pill, it'll alleviate your flu symptoms. Take the blue pill, and you'll feel kind of drowsy. <laughs> That's right. So, I mean, yeah, the uh, a fourth Matrix had been rumored for a long time, and but I think before we get into it, since... When we talked about it is before he had you uh, as a regular in the show, Alex. Um, what do you think about the original Matrix trilogy? I thought the first Matrix was just, uh, you know, an amazing groundbreaking piece of, uh, uh, you know, action sci-fi fantasy. Um, then I thought the second Matrix was kind of fun and had some good stuff going and kind of started to go off the rails. And then he started to fly and I kind of checked out. Did you ever see the third one? I uh, yes, I feel like I have. No, I'm pretty sure I have. They they used to play in HBO all the time when. That's where he talks to the robots form a big baby face. Yeah, <laughs> yes, I think so. Right. And um, Thrasher, it's been a while. Have you rewatched The Matrix recently? You know, I did. I rewatched the. I th- believe I rewatched The Matrix like near the beginning of the pandemic. Like it was, I was in a hotel. Hmm. And it happened to come on, like, well, screw it, I'm watching this. And I was happy to say, so I'm happy to say, one, it holds up, and two, it's it's one of those rare movies where it looks good on a modern TV, and it looks good on an old-fashioned analog TV, but it creates a different experience, uh, depending on which medium you're watching it through. Um, go into that more. I'm sort of interested. What, <laughs> well, what, just what the, do you mean by a different experience depending on, on how you watch it? Well, it's sort of, it, it well, it's sort of like that everything in the movie, cause the movie, when it was made, it was sort of hyper modern. Um, the way it was made was the way that all movies in the future were going to get made. So, you know, there's, so it's, it scales up really well to high definition and all the, all the special effects and like, techniques and things that you would think would look really muddy and blown out uh, uh, when scaled up to high definition actually look really good. But when you watch it on uh, an analog TV, you start to, uh, you start to become sort of hyper aware 
um, of, of essentially the difference between the future and the past. Right. Like when you, when you look at it, when you look at it through that, that analog lens, cause keep in mind, this was also made at a time when, when digital hadn't taken over everything. Uh, and, and so as, as a result, they like this, it's not, it's not that, I'm I'm trying to say something that things stand out, but not in like a bad artificial way. Like I think it's, it's that hybrid of like something that's shot on film but effects heavy. Like yes. uh, this Krug, mm. Matrix Crouching Tiger still looks really good. Um, because yeah, I think and I think also some of it is that there's more practical effects than people might expect because it's so easy true. to say it's all CG. But like this oh, came yeah. out the Matrix. Uh, I'm just looking. Uh, was looking on uh, Wikipedia. Uh, or you know, the best source for all information, but it, it did come out, you know, in March 99. And uh, after that, you had two other big effects films in the first half of 99. You had The Mummy uh, with, um, I was going to say Stephen Sondheim. That's not right. It's directed <laughs> by Stephen Summers. Oh, but what a uh, movie that would have been. Yeah. yeah no, unwrap uh, my heart. <laughs> <laughs> this mummy never had a mummy. Uh, <laughs> this, um, uh, and after that, you know, Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. And I think in a lot of ways, uh, for me, The Matrix was something I think that was far more influential uh, than uh, Phantom Menace ended up being. And, but in other ways, that's, that's not true because it's not that juggernaut. But I mean, the budget on the first Matrix was only $63 million. It was filmed in Australia. The cinematographer is Bill Pope, the same DP that would do The Phantom Menace. Well, that's the, I think uh, that's the Lucas. other thing that people... That, that people forget about the original Matrix is it is a movie that did more with less and every dollar is on yeah. screen. Yeah. Yes. And, and it's and, not like a oversight to say, it's not like an overkill to say that it's like revolutionary because everything after the Matrix looked like the Matrix. <laughs> right. And, and I recall, you know, on the, the Super Bowl at, at that time, I would watch with my family mainly for the commercials, if I'm being honest. And um, I'm not much of a sports guy unless it's like martial arts or boxing. But, you you know, um, they had a commercial and I'm like, what? It's an action movie with Keanu Reeves. And I was just giggling. I'm like, this is ridiculous. You know, I was giggling the same way people in theaters giggled when Matt Damon was in the trailer for uh, Born Identity. And they're like, exactly, they're, yeah. they're making him do action. What? And uh, and, you know, people pivot to different things in their career. And uh, Keanu Reeves, of course, was was famous before The Matrix, but The Matrix made him like. Double a bona fide, like like a triple A movie star with the the amount of money it made, and well, um, it, and the, I guess and the other thing uh, about that is I remember when 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 the trailers first started cropping up, the joke the joke was everyone just going whoa, it was like derision. But then they saw the yes. movie, and then everybody was going whoa, and they loved it. Yeah, no, the Matrix I saw twice in the theater, and I mean to to go over. Real quick about the sequels, uh, Thrasher and I were in college, uh, and I don't think you went with me, Thrasher, but I went like opening night, and there was a whole bunch of, it was like all students and professors from SCAD, and yeah, at the end I, of that second movie, it was like walking out of a, a funeral, just complete yeah. silence. You <laughs> yeah, could I feel the energy level drop when the movie got bit to Zion and all that stuff. Yeah, there, there was, there was a, there was a, a disappointment. I think, and and some of that, as as I said when we covered the Matrix sequels, uh, I do believe that the Wachowskis had enough material for one and a half truly brilliant movies, which mm. they then spread thin across two movies. 
but at the same time, I think another reason for that uh, is that the, the first Matrix really sort of came out of nowhere. And like, what was the, the ad campaign? What is the Matrix? So like, oh, so well, smart. now we know by the time the Matrix, uh, the, the second uh, Matrix Reloaded came out, there had been almost two solid years of hype. And I was so goddamn sick of hearing about the Matrix by the time the second one came out. It, it had, you know, that. Uh, did you ever play this, Alex? They had a, a, a tie in video game called Enter the Matrix, where they filmed uh, video clips of it on set and all this stuff. And it was canon. Oh. Alex? Oh, the video games? Yeah. Yeah, no, I remember hearing about them a lot and. Yeah, Mikey said Thrasher, like, weren't they largely considered canon? Because I think that's got something to do with uh, Morpheus not being here. But no, I never played any of the games. But I saw some of the Animatrix uh, prequels. That, that I think that was also a, uh, a part of the, the problem. And the, 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 the Wachowskis, whether because they were pressured into it or because they wanted to do it, they wanted to make the broader Matrix media coherent. So there was, so they had their hands on a bunch of different pies so that you know everything could sort of tie into their their singular vision and one of the downsides of that is that there's stuff in there there is stuff in every one of the matrix products that came out around that time that don't make a goddamn lick of sense unless you have seen all the other matrix products released about around that time and it was a, it was another instance where i think they got they got spread too thin because they didn't just have to make two sequels back to back they also had to make the animatrix and they also had to make that uh that video game uh and they also had to make an mmorpg and they also had to make comics and there was just way too much going on the matrix very quickly became an empire under itself unto itself and immediately started collapsing under its own weight yeah, yeah, I mean, also with um, what Matrix uh, Revolutions was, I mean, I mean that was also weird with the release of the, the uh, two and three. They were released within six months of each other in the same year. Yeah, you didn't have that nice kind of like because what it was like a year between each Hobbit movie or between each uh, Lord of the Rings movie. Yeah, Sandy Hobbit movie, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, I feel like th that's another thing. It was like too close on each other's heels. Like the, but by the time uh, Revolutions came out, the taste like people weren't hungry for more Matrix at that point, point. and I think that yeah. also had a lot to do with the negative reception it received. Yeah, I always think with sequels uh, in, in uh, Jackie Chan, and uh, one of his his books, uh, I Am Jackie Chan, the, his first kind of memoir for the the English market. Um, he he mentions if a sequel is uh, not at least if it comes out any earlier than two years after the original, it's NG, meaning no good. <laughs> and Jackie Chan did do a lot of sequels, and oh, he yeah. still does. But I think he more or less stuck to that. But like the point is, like you just can't rush this stuff, even if the market wants it. I mean, with television, it's different. But uh, it's. But anyway, I mean, you know, it has been the original uh, Matrix. We said it was ninety nine. The, the sequels was in 2003. This is 2021 when this thing came out. It was delayed, like everything, uh, from the pandemic. And um, But I, I, I feel like that's, that's in this movie's favor because it's been nearly two decades. Yeah. And now I am kind of hungry for a little bit more Matrix. Well, you right. know what, too, is that I think, like, what happened is that since the original sequels and this new iteration 
is that I think the mentality of like studios and, and franchises before was with each in, in, with each movie we want to, you know, we want to, you know, get more fans. Whereas instead it's with each movie, let's keep our current fans happy. And I think that's like the adage that makes this movie so fucking cool. <laughs> hmm. And you, you didn't have social media really when that first Matrix came out. Uh, I don't think MySpace was a thing, or if it was, it was pretty new. Even the internet in 99, a lot of people didn't have that in their home. Or if they did, that... it was dial-up and it was slow. Yeah, like the internet was still a thing you did, whereas now you're just always on. Right, and I remember trying to explain that to my teacher in high school. He's like, what do you do on it all the time? And I say, oh, I read. And he's like, that sounds stupid. <laughs> and I mean, I, it was just such a foreign concept, right? And... It was just kind of a perfect, uh, but you had a lot of cyberpunk stuff, certainly after The Matrix, but even before The Matrix, uh, Keanu Reeves did Johnny Monomic, which was based oh, off the yeah. William Gibson um, novella or something like that. And You know what I want? I want to go to the Plaza Hotel, where they have <laughs> those crisp sheets. I want my shirts ironed. Yeah. I, I want him to just turn into Dennis Leary in that moment, start puffing on a cigarette. It's There's almost like American Psycho, too, that speech. It's the... <laughs> There's another, it's like kind of lesser mentioned cyberpunk movie that came out and from uh, like a major Hollywood production, uh, Virtuosity. Yes, right. With I have the a young Russell Crowe. I do too. Russell Crowe eating glass is just, I'm, I'm all fucking about that. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't <laughs> mind watching that. There's also, um, I never saw one called The 13th Flora, people tell me was good. I really like David Cronenberg's existence. Yeah, that movie, that, that holds up in a weird way. I like that one a lot. That's like a weird uh, companion film to Videodrome. Definitely. Oh, who knows? There's also Serial Experiments Lane. Well, the anime. Oh, of course. And the Japanese stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, Thrasher, because that often gets forget. The anime is a huge influence on The Matrix with the Ghost in the Shell, um, Akira, you know, those kind of classic. And of course, since The Matrix, you had you had other stuff too. But I mean, we've... And then, I mean, my God, Ready Player One. Oh, those, yeah. Geez. All this metaverse stuff. <laughs> I I was so worried that that was going to happen in the middle of this movie because it because at because right right before I watched it. So right before I watched it, somebody had made a comment online about how they really wanted a fun, campy, silly Batman movie. And someone had responded, like, have you already forgotten this exists? And it was a screen capture from the Lego Batman movie. And it occurred to me, I know why he forgot that exists. That's not as fun as that movie is. It's not a Batman movie. It's a Warner Brothers movie. <laughs> That's just how Warner Brothers works. They had that where they had all their properties colliding. They had the they had, you know, you got your Ready Player Ones where all the properties colliding. You got your. Well, um, I mean, you want to talk about them rushing stuff. And there was made of stuff in that first Lego movie for sure. But within less than 10 years. You had Lego Movie 1 and 2, you had Batman Lego, and you had Ninjago, which is like Lego Ninja or some shit, right? Yeah. Oh, all those theatrical quickly. releases, four theatrical releases. Yeah, talk about, uh, like, drowning in your own weight of shit. That's Not to mention much. all the fucking Lego video games. I mean, they're fun for what they are, but... Yeah, totally. And Space Jam, the new the new legacy. I need to see that. I, I, it sounds so bad. I think I'd enjoy it. We um, need to just cover Space Jam. And no, I agree. Uh, and it's just cool. But um, anyway, yeah. let's get on talking about the actual fucking movie. Uh, <laughs> about time. We knew this about. was going to happen, though. Oh, of course. It, it's <laughs> so. Um, 
Yeah, I, I did not see this in the theater. I saw this on HBO Max. This was like the last thing in 2021 that um, in, in the United States, Warner Brothers had a deal where their theatrical releases were at home and in theaters simultaneously if you had a subscription to HBO Max. And I'm thankful for them for doing that during a pandemic. And frankly, I think when that genie's out of the bottle, that was going to happen anyway. But you're not going to I don't think theaters are ever going to quite be the same. Yeah, and, and that's that's a whole other episode. But I'm yes, also yeah, glad well, that I was yep. able to get this streaming i i would i i i don't think i have seen a movie in the theater since uh rise of skywalker oh my god i I've want to few, go back but... to theaters but it just hasn't yeah. happened yet right yeah i've seen two movies in two years in the in the theaters what did you see uh dune and licorice pizza as of last night oh, oh. cool um, i'm sure we're talking about licorice pizza licorice pizza and what you're watching i i've saw maybe like Three, I saw Spiral for some reason. <laughs> the like movie the saw movie with Chris Rock just had a morbid curiosity. Uh um, we saw the Corolla Deville movie in theaters, even though they came on Disney pretty soon. And um the new Spider Man we saw. Um but yes, Matrix Resurrections for fuck's sake. Ah. So I mean with the way the Matrix three ended uh, Neo sacrificed uh, himself in a very Christ-like pose and everything was hunky-dory or so we thought. And, and this movie, I, I love how it it plays with expectations and it's kind of a soft reboot, but not really. Well, and... the, the first half of this movie is delightfully weird and intriguing. I, I really enjoyed that. Why don't you explain why? Well, so we just sort of like, we we get we get essentially the opening scene of the original matrix replayed, but with different actors and this blue haired woman named bugs, like hiding in the background, watching it. And, but thing as the scene progresses, things start to play out a little bit differently. And this sort of mysterious, like hologram guy keeps popping in and, and, and giving bugs information. Uh, and as it plays out, uh, Bugs hides in a in a uh, a locksmith shop as a, you know of course a reference to the keymaker in the mm. uh, the Matrix sequels and there's an agent there but then the agent like pulls her into a magic hallway and they start talking and the agent sort really essentially starts slowly turning into Morpheus uh, and then we leave there and then it's just Keanu Reeves is this kind of like put upon computer game designer working with a bunch of uh, working with a bunch of young people on a sequel to a video game called the matrix. And on, on the, on the one hand, I have been in collaborative creative workspaces like that, that are sort of have these same kinds of personalities in them. Mm -hmm. That being said for a bunch of game designers, they design very few games. <laughs> the only I mean, one if you to have do one hit is Keanu Reeves. Look at look at uh, uh, what Bethesda. You only have one Skyrim or one Elder Scrolls game in a decade, or like Grand Theft Auto Five has been remade for three different consoles now, generations. Yeah, and and funnily enough, with with all the stuff about video games in this, I, I'm shocked there wasn't more commentary on like microtransactions and and like unfinished games being released and patched later and things like. I, and and things like that. Uh, but yeah, and and he you know he visits 
Uh, Keanu Reeves has apparently been under a lot of mental stress. Uh, it is specifically stated by his boss, who acts a lot like Ag- a boss named Smith, who acts a mm-hmm. lot like Agent Smith, that they they are owned by Warner Brothers, and Warner Brothers is going to get a Matrix sequel, <laughs> whether, <laughs> whether Anderson yes. wants it or not. So they'd rather just have him do it. Uh, so that the, the to, to, I guess you know to make the fans happy, and the other thing this th- this really struck me is that um, Anderson goes to has a, a therapist he goes to. The therapist is played by Neil Patrick Harris, who and I am not joking looks one hundred percent like brains from Thunderbirds. Did you all notice this, or am I the only one here who's ever watched Thunderbirds? I was hypnotized by his magical glasses. Oh I, yeah, the, I, yeah, I, I need to actually does. watch Thunderbirds. I've seen clips and nonstop references to it, and I know it's something you like dearly, Thrasher. All of the everything from that. Um, Jerry Anderson. Like, I just looked it up. Wow. Uh, yeah, I, I have a fondness for Jerry Anderson and Super Mariamation, Super Dynamation, and all, all those other things. But uh, uh, and if you're an MST3K fan, Super Puppetricity. But the. <laughs> It's 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 just so and, and I admittedly they're doing color symbolism with his with his 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 blue glasses. But yes. at the same time, every time I see him like, oh, yeah, that's that's brains. That's brains from Thunderbirds. It, I just looked it up. It's an uncanny resemblance. I, I yeah. bet you that's like anything in the Matrix. It's no accident. And yeah, as someone like the beginning stuff with the office, you even have Christina Ricci, who was in the Wachowskis uh, Speed Racer. Yeah. But in here, she's like for in there for two seconds. Yeah, it's and, really brief. We had to go back and find her when we saw her name in the credits. Right. And, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, like, and, as someone, I, I've worked in, in software and I just started working in, in the gaming industry full time, uh, uh, a few months ago. And nice. it, it almost felt, uh, <laughs> too much like work at times. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I have worked in offices like that, Thrasher. And, uh, you're right. Where they have the bean ball, the uh, the ping pong table. They have the bean bags. They have the um, all all these things in an office to try and trick people into staying there for longer. Because it's like the coolest, tippest place to work, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the and, and you know what? I I something I absolutely loved in this is when they're just have when they had that montage where it's just them having the pitch sessions. Yes. And, and everybody's and everybody's throwing out things that they think are deep but are really just sort of for lack of a better term like buzzwords and i love i love i love that one asshole who works with uh who works with anderson the he goes with him to the coffee shop yeah yeah who, who's like the guy from uh who's like jonah he's like jonah hill light mm-hmm. uh, and <laughs> to, to, the, to the point where like they, there's so much of him in the beginning i thought he was going to come back in a major way in the end he, he doesn't but i like his screen time and there's this bit where he just kind of like gets up slams his hand on the table like y'all lost touch with what makes the matrix the matrix it's bullet time i mean i was kind of on board with that too because i was like that was the revolutionary thing that made it so fucking cool well, well it also was in commercials like really soon after the movie came out oh like it was in everything yeah everything was in, like, fucking coffee for christ's sakes um and uh, isn't his name like Jude, like Judas? It probably, yes. it yeah. probably is. I didn't catch his name. So, so few characters actually like flat out actually get me. <laughs> right. Yeah. No one's called like, you know, Tom, the that's half. their name. But 
Yeah, and and you know we come we come to find out that you know that that Anderson had some sort of mental breakdown. He has to take these antipsychotic pills, which just so happened to be the thick and blue. Uh, that he attempted suicide at one point. There's a lot. There's a lot going on, but also he he takes his coffee breaks in this uh, coffee lounge called Simulate, which. I hated that pun when I first saw it, but I liked it more and more. By the time the movie ended, I was in love with it. I would go to a simulate if there was a simulate pop-up. Um, and there's a woman who happens to look a lot like Trinity from The Matrix who who comes in, but he never he never sort of deigns to talk with her. Uh, but but Jude kind of like forces them into a conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that's when, you know, it turns out she's married and has kids, but they start sort of meeting each other more and learning more about each other. But then, you know, bugs start showing up and, and the, the short of it is that it turns out that this isn't, that it's not just a coincidence and it's not just a metafictional thing that Keanu Reeves is playing a guy named Anderson who is making a video game, uh, called the matrix and something else i love is whenever they show a uh, show the vi the video game he made it's just clips of the movie <laughs> which which i have to, which i have to wonder are we supposed to believe that that's cgi or or that they it was because it was made in 99 it was like part of the last generation of full motion video games <laughs> i think that like the perfect loophole created in this movie and i guess as a result of the preceding movies is that everything either does or doesn't exist so, like, the game, The Matrix, in this movie is either the greatest, most revolutionary thing ever, or it just doesn't fucking exist. And I think that's, like, uh, kind of, like, a pun unto itself in a weird way. Because yeah, like you and, never see him develop it or work it or play it, really. Well, we so see him sort of doing some programming, but that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. But, but and, and actually, I'm I'm glad you, you, you brought up that up about it either does or doesn't exist, because the movie in the first half makes a whole meal of well, nothing is really binary, you know. That's not a real choice, and like, and, <laughs> uh, and and I'm sort of, and I'm intrigued by that, by that premise for a lot of reasons. But then the second half of the movie seems, like, no, 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 it is, it is binary. Everything is either or. <laughs> <laughs> it it kind of loses touch with that, and I think, and I think that's something is that a lot of uh, a lot of people sort of expected that this movie was going to attempt to take back a lot of the Matrix symbolism that got co opted uh, by the extreme right. Um, only time will tell whether this movie is successful. Um, that being said, I don't think it really made much of an attempt to take it back. Uh, it just sort of, it just continued to use the symbolic vocabulary that it established in the first film. But anyway, yeah, it turns out he actually is Neo and all those movies did happen. Um, uh, and he's been missing in the physical world and there's this new group of hackers who are trying to bust him out and, you know, he gets, he gets busted out, uh, uh, and there's a and, th and this is something that I thought was gr that I thought was great is that he's busted out and he's taken to a new city called a new free city called Io. And one of the premises that the movie and this is one of the few times where it doesn't fall into that either or binary um, that because of his actions that they, they don't really go into too much detail about the the like exactly like how how his actions changed the world in the 20 well i think in the 60 we find out 60 years between the end of revolutions and the beginning of this movie but one of the things that happened is that like you know the definition of us and them changed and that this new free city it is a city where humans and machines work together 
And I thought that was great. And I like that the machines get to be characters and that like they're not they're not all evil. Although it then also brings up one of the one of the the sort of logic problems of the franchise, uh, which I don't think is a problem in the first film because it's just part of the established premise that you know the that you know that the machines were so, were originally solar powered and so the sun got blocked out in a nuclear winter, and so they learned that they could use bioelectricity harvest from humans to to uh, to power themselves, but no one seems to have any problem getting power other ways. So why do the machines need humans in the big battery farms when there's apparently a plenty of ways to get power to run an industrialized society? Good question. And this movie does in, in the second half throw a lot of information. Well, I mean, I guess all through it throws a lot of information at the audience, but when you start getting to uh, Zion or, or you know, where, where the, the real world and where the humans live and some of that stuff. I, I do like how it advances the um, the plot with the, the machines where some machines teamed with the humans and some didn't. And, like, I, I think that lore was pretty interesting. On the other hand, I also was like, are they just saying that because they want to make that its own HBO Max series <laughs> or okay, so an you, anime movie? Well, or you know what's like, interesting, though? Actually, I'm glad, you, I'm glad you brought up the human harvesting thing. Is that you remember in the first one? Is that you see whole rows and rows and rows of infinite pods? And this one, I, only, I really only remember seeing two pods: Neo and Trinity. Uh, they, they, you do see the old-fashioned like human farms uh, okay. in, uh, in the climax, but they, they don't linger on them. You, you just, you see the rows and you see like the robots stuffing, stuffing fetuses in them. Because the first thing I thought, I was like, those pods can't be that expensive. How come there's only two? <laughs> <laughs> well, those are the special resurrection pods. Because yes. as as we find out, uh, you know, Neo and Trinity apparently did die at the end of Revolutions. Yeah. Uh, we find out later that one particular machine used a whole bunch of resources to rebuild their bodies. Considering and, how... And- Coming soon to HyperX.com, HP.com, and more fine retailers, the HyperX Cloud Alpha Wireless. The Cloud Alpha Wireless gets up to 300 hours of battery life, so you'll spend less time charging your headset and more time charging into the action. The dual-chamber drivers enhanced by premium DTS Headphone X Spatial Audio provide reduced distortion, allowing you to hear audio cues with pinpoint precision. Up to 300 hours of battery, two chambers, zero wires. The new HyperX Cloud Alpha Wireless. Yeah, yeah. So, so to rebuild to rebuild their bodies and use the use them as the foundation for a new matrix. And this is something else that I, I do that I did like, which I could use, which you know you could certainly develop more. Is just that the idea that the machines have their own politics and that not every machine agreed with the peace Neo wanted to establish. And that was one. And I believe I even talked about this. That was one thing about the end of Matrix Revolutions that just didn't sit well with me. Just the idea that oh, humans that want to be free, they'll be free, and humans that don't want to leave the Matrix, well, they can stay plugged in. And like, well, what what is that? What kind of a life is that? Do the people who are still plugged in know that they're plugged in? What's going on? And and this movie kind of dispenses with that when you discover that oh, well, the the, the machines that didn't like the uneasy peace, well, they just didn't let their humans go. Um, so that that's okay. And like, I liked that the you know the machines turned on each other, but that's also part of why in the city of Io, humans and machines uh, work together. And there's a lot of fun. There's a lot of fun stuff with Io, and I and I love the you know I I, I love 
the, how they sort of establish the technology that helps the humans and the machines work together and live together. Um, I have no idea how those robots are getting powered. Uh, again, a mysterious energy source that the ro that only the machines in the free city seem to have. Um, I love that bit with it about them eating real strawberries. Uh, I thought that was really touching. Uh, and, and and then you know keeps with the color symbolism. But and 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 the city and that you know Morpheus apparently became like a religious leader, uh, but he's long dead, the original Morpheus, not the new Morpheus who is a machine consciousness. But the but I was ruled by uh, Niobe, who was a character introduced in the Matrix video game that then showed up in the Animatrix and was a huge part of the original sequels. This is the one special effect I don't like is the old age makeup that they've got her in. Everything in this movie looks flawless except for her old age makeup. Yeah, considering how like batshit crazy and complicated the lore is, like I like kudos to the writers and and Lana Wachowski for being faithful to it all pretty much to a T. Oh no, that's true. Like they never pulled a cop out of of telling you that something you saw in a previous movie or Matrix tie-in didn't happen. I'm very thankful for that. So right. they never insulted the audience's intelligence. That being said, with with not with Niobe, and it's a character that I am glad they brought back, but at the same time, they should have either recast the role and actually hired an older woman to play the character, or they should have somehow digitally aged her up. Because like it the the whole time, like it the it it looks so transparent. I half expected her to peel her own face off and turn <laughs> out to be somebody else underneath. Hmm. Yeah, it didn't it didn't take me out of the movie too much, but um like when you were saying about the thing uh about people like choosing to either like stay in the matrix or stay in the real world and I think like the thing with the strawberry is that the I think it makes like the betrayal of like Joey Pants in the first Matrix <laughs> less likely to occur in this world because it's like, hey, we can grow stuff and it's not just like, you know, we're not eating like shitty gruel and stuff. Because yeah. like when you are when 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 you wake up in the real world, as Murphy says, like it looks shitty. The clothes suck. The food sucks. Like and I think that kind of like makes this matrix much more, I guess this IO much more lucrative is that like, it's not a complete sterile shit show. No, no. It, yeah, it, it is. Tr it, it, it does look like a better life. Uh, it not, it not, it's not just the idea of freedom. Like it actually is a better way to live. And I, I and that is, that is a wonderful turn to have in this movie. Well, it's funny, too, because, like, the cultural climate, I think, from the first film and now this film is that, like, basically in the late 90s, early 2000s, if you were, like, if you worked in an office or were a programmer or spent any time behind a computer, that was, like, a fate worse than death. Like, office space, American beauty, like, you know what I mean? Like, everyone needed to, like, break out from their cubicle, man. And then this movie, it's like, if you are working in programming, like, you fucking play ping pong and, like, have rap sessions with your <laughs> boss and have action figures. And it's fucking cool, man, you know? Yeah. But uh, and this is actually a turn a, a turn that I uh, I like is that, you know, Bugs wants to immediately, you know, go out with with Neo to, to rescue Trinity uh, from the other the other resurrection pod that she's in. But, you know, Niobe, uh, she won't stand for it. And she doesn't have time for Neo's messianic shenanigans. So he's immediately placed under house arrest and Bugs and her crew commit an act of, of mutiny. Well, I guess technically treason because it's not aboard ship. Uh, and they they bust him out and they go on a secret a secret Matrix mission to try to get Trinity out. And this is when this is 
on the one hand, this is when the movie kicks into high gear, but on the other hand, this is when the movie gets a lot less interesting. Yeah, definitely. This is kind of like the, like the, like after basically everything after the train throwdown and that kind of cool fight with like the weird French dude from, I think the second movie. Um, yeah. Okay. I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought that up because I feel like I, I don't know what purpose the Moravingian serves in this movie. Cause one of the ideas is because the, you know, the machines have politics, there was a quote unquote purge and a number of machine intelligences, including the Oracle got deleted. Um, yeah. and apparently there's like rogue programs from that era referred to as exiles. The Moravingian is one of those rogue programs. And, and, uh, we come to find out that Neil Patrick Harris, Neo's therapist, is the person in charge of this particular Matrix simulation, and he brings those programs back to fight uh, to fight Neo and his gang. And they're all just weird and eclectic. And like the Moravingian, well, one, the Moravingian, you have to be told who he is. Oh, because yeah. like he's he, he he they make him look like a crazy homeless person. He's got a big scraggly beard and he wears the Harley Quinn's jacket from from Birds of Prey, but all like covered in mud. And it's and like, well, one, why does he look like that? Like who decided, you know, what we should do reprogram this intelligence. So he looks like a sack of shit. Um, but but two. Uh, I recognized the actor's eyes, so I knew it was the Moravingian. But right after I realized that, somebody specifically says, oh, that's the Moravingian. And all he does is the whole fight scene is stand in the corner and have a pointless rant <laughs> about how everything was better in the 90s. I just remember thinking, I was like, am I in a Luc Besson movie? Well, yeah, well, yeah, it felt very French and kind of either that or Jean-Pierre Genet or something. It's right. I had to legit ask, oh, I had to ask my girlfriend because I was like, I have no idea who the fuck this is. Like, is like I'm totally <laughs> missing something here. And she was like, it's the Marvingian from, what? Uh, it's the second one, right? Yeah, yeah, he's introduced in the second. He shows yeah, okay. up briefly in the third. And, and I can only assume the only reason he's there is that's Lana Wachowski's way of saying, yeah, maybe those original sequels weren't that good, but, but he is such <laughs> a distraction. And, and this is the other problem about, about, about his, his rant. I hate when the word original or originality is used as part of criticism because it is either a lie or it shows what the critic does not know. Cause you know, he makes it, you know, things were original back then we had originality. Um, but no, no, Everything in the original Matrix, you can track that influence. It's oh, not yeah. that right. the Matrix was original and full of new ideas. It's that the Matrix took a bunch of tried and true ideas and combined them in a way that they had never been combined before. And yeah. that's essentially how storytelling works. If a story is truly original, it will be incomprehensible. Yeah, exactly. And right. I think that's Everything. the thing is that like uh, the Wachowskis have always like despite some diminishing returns with some of their movies, there's always sincerity to them. Like, they oh, no, absolutely. Yeah. They, they are who they are and they put that on screen. And something that I do, something I do like about them is that they put all their influences on screen too. If you are literate in the same things that they are literate in, you can see all their influences and know immediately what they're calling back to or what inspired them. And I, th and I think that's, and I, and I think that that, has a lot to do with the way their their films are received because like I remember like like with Ju with Jupiter Ascending, uh, you know I look at that and go oh yeah this is kind of like like a, a Moebius or, or Yodorowsky comic sort of, but like 
that's fringe stuff for for most people in the American audience. So for most of the American audience, seeing that movie was like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, that's and, and the American audience had a similar kind of cold reaction to um, you had something from a I think a Mobius comic, right? The Valerian. Uh, well, that that wasn't Mobius, but that oh. was based on a French comic, uh, Valerian and Lorelei, which I have read. It's a, a delightful comic. And that 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 Luc Besson film, yeah, I mean, was was that that same kind of you know, uh, Euro sci-fi uh, flavor, which. And and you can say what you want about the the Wachowskis, but they at least all their movies try, and in this case, uh, just uh, Lena Wachowskis, the movies try to be about something. It's not just about the explosions and bullet mm-hmm. time and and whatnot and the effects. It, it tries to reach for something more, um, even if sometimes the delivery of uh, those themes can be kind of heavy-handed or put in really long monologues. I mean, at at the uh, at the end of this film, oh yeah, uh, Neil Patrick Harris has this speech that's so long. At some point, it's like with the architect in the second Matrix movie, <laughs> your mind just kind of shuts off, and it's like <laughs> I'm really paying attention here. And at some point, like it's like explode when defeated presents something really neat and full of meat. Those children aren't going to protect themselves in a brand new podcast series about everyone's favorite giant reptile. Godzilla? No, we already did that one. Rodan? No, uh, we did that one too. Gorgo? Gamera. We're talking about Gamera. From turtles to medieval samurai golems on our new series, Demolition Die. Only on the HyperX Podcast Network. Video Death Loop is the show where we watch a short video clip on loop until we just can't take it anymore. Along the way, we'll try our best to make each other laugh and to hold out longer than the other guy. Come in on any episode. Video Death Loop, new episodes every Friday. It's time to tap in with the HyperX Quadcast S microphone. The stunning HyperX Quadcast S features dynamic, customizable RGB lighting, a convenient tap to mute sensor, and four selectable polar patterns, so we can broadcast crystal clear audio, whether you're gaming, streaming, podcasting, or impressing your remote colleagues and classmates. So what are you waiting for? Join the Quad Squad and tap in today with the HyperX Quadcast S microphone. Did they get all this information out because they weren't sure they were going to do a sequel or something and wanted to explain everything? But I kind of wish that would have explained less. I think that's part of what made that first Matrix more interesting. He has so much to explain. He has to go in like the slowest slow motion that's ever been used in the Matrix. Well, well, I do, I do like the idea of like turning bullet time against Neo, where where Neil Patrick Harris starts like manipulating time, so everything sure. is going super slow except him, and it's, and it's, and and it's it it's visually very interesting, both of those those moments, uh, and I do, and it's it's, but but it's true, it does linger. It's as if, well, is the point of this scene that bullet time was a mistake, and you should feel bad that you ever learned it. <laughs> I mean, it's possible. It's funny, though, because even though it is kind of long winded, I still dug it. I was still into it the whole time. And it feels like they're doing like it's almost like I with the digital cinematography. I felt like they were doing like old school, like in camera tricks, but with digital photography, like um, like, you know, it's like Neil Patrick Harris's like movement in that scene. It, it almost is like what I could just call Wong Kar Wai slow motion. It's like kind of like uh, like cross processed, you know, like either high exposure um 
faster they did something lens. different yep. with the frame rate between filming the two of them and then yeah they like kind look- of composite well, you know what's interesting though is that is that uh, Carrie Ann Moss. Uh, one thing I did notice in one of the one of the scenes where the slow mo effect is being used, I think it's just her moving slow because I could see the vein in her, the pulse of the vein mm. in her neck beating at a normal rhythm. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and, and but it all it all builds. You know, it builds to a climax where they come up with a plan to to disconnect, to well, well to give to give Trinity the choice to stay in the Matrix or leave with some, you know, fancy hacking and heist stuff. And it was, it was almost a little too heist filmy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, okay. So like, just like a heist where they start describing the plan, but then you see bits of the plan, but then you're not sure whether what you're seeing is how they think the plan's going to go or how it actually goes in parallel to, to the point where I thought, okay, are they setting us up for a twist where it turns out they're still in a simulation (laughs) and that the heist isn't real? And, and like, but that doesn't happen. The heist, the heist is real, and I think, I think it's a fun, tense scene. And you've got the heist going on while this thrilling fight is happening in the Matrix. And and initially, Trinity decides she wants to stay in the Matrix, but then she changes her mind, uh, and it l- turns into a huge, you know, big fight scene. And this I thought was actually pretty intense. It's fun seeing uh, seeing her and Neo on the motorcycle running through the town. I love that bit where. You know, but again, taking the video game elements is that it turns out like a huge portion of the population of the Matrix are just fake simulated people who can be activated and turned into agents forever and whenever because it turns out it's more efficient to uh, to just do that than to have an agent take over uh, take over a human's access point. But we come to find out that one of the people in the Matrix is a backup of Agent Smith, and this is one of the things that I, I actually liked which strangely enough doesn't get a speech to explain it, is that the backup of Agent Smith helps Neo and Trinity. And he never he never explains it, but I think the subtext makes it clear. What is the what is the coyote without the roadrunner? What is Smokey without the bandit? Neo's very existence gives Agent Smith a reason to exist. So it is in Agent Smith's self-interest for Neo to be running around fucking shit up in the Matrix. Right. And I think like the explanation, uh, I forget who gives it, but it's like you, you guys are like acids and bases, like, you know, <laughs> individually strong, but like, you know, together you're dangerous. Except um, that's not how acids and bases work yeah, together. They neutralize good, each other. It, it sounded good. <laughs> <laughs> it should have been like oil and vinegar. You make good salad dressing. Hey, um, but, <laughs> but one, of the things, one of the things that I think it's cool is like when people all across the towns or all the cities start getting activated and, and just start jumping out of windows and being human bombs. Yeah. It felt, I was like, cool. We're in like a zombie movie now. And I usually, I would have like rolled my eyes at that, but I actually dug it. I thought that was pretty cool. It's, it's an intense scene. Although the the scene does point out a a, a one, they'll say this movie does have two script problems. One I'm going to try to save for the end. One I'm going to address now. So Neo's powers, Neo because Neo is Neo, has a lot of bonkers powers that he develops throughout the original trilogy. And and here, the in this movie, the only powers he maintains are Kung Fu, bullet time, and the ability to sort of like stop bullets with his mind. Uh, which, are, you know, those are the foundational powers of the trilogy. It's a back-to-basics thing. Um, but it's sort of arbitrary when his powers work and when they don't. Because, like, he can't fly until the epilogue, when he does fly. Um, 
and, and it's just like a, a number of his other powers only really work when the script says they should work. Well, love kind of, is the power of flight. They have yeah. to fly together. But um, one thing that I do do like is that, you know, eventually, you know, they got Neo and, and Trinity cornered on the roof of a building and they just jump. They just jump off. And then, you know, uh, Trinity starts to fly and, you know, carries them away. And I thought that was that that was really fun. Yeah, uh, that was I, a good clip. I like that moment, and you know, so they escape, and everything's good. And then there's this, there's a, there's a sort of delightful epilogue where they, Trinity and Neo, show up in Neil Patrick Harris's office to give their whole, in person, give their whole speech about how they're going to blow people's minds and free people from the Matrix, uh, and that they now have a second chance, which is their way of saying the franchise has a second chance, <laughs> and and. And and Trinity keeps like killing Neil Patrick Harris over and over again, and then rewinding time so he's back together. And in this scene, and in this scene only, Neil Patrick Harris is suddenly very sexist and misogynist, which I feel like that should have been a thread and a part of his character from the beginning. But it only really exists in this scene, and it feels very tacked on. I think it's just bad guy coloring, you know, was just like, okay, we're going to if we just need to make him less appealing and shitty, because I think Neil Patrick Harris is naturally just very charming and people are going to like him. So I think like that was just kind of tacked on to make him just feel more shitty, I guess. Maybe, maybe I feel, but, but I just feel like it just so it doesn't it's it's something that should have been seeded way earlier if it's going to be a, a thing. But, uh, you know, and then both Trinity and Neo, you know, fly away. Uh, and you know, it's a nice callback to the end of the first movie. It's 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 overall an OK epilogue, but it also feels so much like they're setting up a, they're like because like the first movie didn't feel like it ended with sequel setup. It was self-contained. This movie has enough dangling threads and enough. Look at this that I can't help but feel that this epilogue is there to make it easier to do more of these movies if they want to. And I kind of hope they don't. This is a, I, yeah, I feel like this is a high point to end the series on. I don't need any more matrix. It would just be, it would just be, it's just another, it's, it's like, it's like with star Wars where every time you make a new star Wars, the batting average keeps going down. Even if (laughs) you get a good movie. And then I feel like the matrix is going to be the same way. I, I feel like it referential wise, like this is a, like an end cap and basically a way of saying like, OK, you got your Matrix movie now. Shut up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we're done talking about it. Um, sort of. And I mean, I, I think they've I, I've read interviews with the Lane Wachowski, the director, and, and they said that um, they're not like there's no plans for another one. But uh, the interviews at the same time with the producer, James McTeague, who also produced the uh, the originals said, well, there's a possibilities for stuff. I mean, so, I mean, clearly Warner Brothers has made a lot of money off the Matrix, whether this one did what it wanted to or not. And I think all, all movies um, released theatrically, or all movies, period, I think are kind of taking a bath during this pandemic period, but this isn't going to do it one way or another, you know. Um, so I think we'll see more Matrix, whether the Wachowskis will be involved, I'm not sure. And that the whole monologue earlier in the film about like, Oh, you tried to do sequels with, with other people. I mean, that was based on stuff that really happened. Uh, oh yeah. Of yeah. A lot of that written. felt like they were, they were just like, these were conversations they were part of and they just transcribed them. <laughs> it's not unlike the, uh, the South park episode where uh, it talked about what was it like a Terrence and Philip mobile game or something. 
Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Where you, yeah. And that was literally like a meeting the South Park guys, Trey Parker and Matt Stone, had with corporate that they just put, basically made a whole episode. Yeah, they just made a <laughs> It's a freemium, it. which is yes. Latin. Free for doesn't cost any money, and emium for not really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's... um. What I... um, You know what I really dug, though, with this movie is that, like, there's a million and one things you can reference, you know, whether it's, you know, anime or, you know, martial arts films or whatever. But, like, there's also, like, kind of a return to, like, like old school, like, fucking, like, Cocteau, Buñuel, fucking, um, like, even, like, Brechtian moments in, like, the theater with, like, the projection of the original Matrix. And I love that, yes. like, old school yeah. surrealism. I mean, just, like, going back to the fucking, like, the, you know, like, the mirrors and stuff like that. That's, like, old OG fucking, like, you know, fucking, like, cocktail orpheus shit which i that's cool to it like it really kind of maintains like that kind of like you know old school like expressionism you know right or even they just flash back to clips from the original film that are not even like a whole second worth like it's very yeah. brief and and it's just like silence when they do that or they they have the the soundtrack from what's happening to the present when it shows stuff from the past well it's, it's but, much more like a memory now. yeah exactly yeah yep, like an impression of something also and, this is a movie with fucking color. Yes. Like, it has yeah. colors. It's fun. It's pretty to look at. All these, like, fucking doom and gloom fucking movies, all these action blockbusters are just like, oh, like, yeah, and just kind of just relentlessly gloomy and, like, so lean so heavy into, like, the, like, this is the real shit, man, kind of mentality. And, like, this is like, hey, remember when action was fun? You know? Like, it's a lot... That's like a, such a breath of fresh air to me. I I really want other filmmakers to take that cue because it makes a big fucking difference, man. So I do, I do, do want to talk. To, so one one thing that I I do have a bit of a problem with though um, is that you know we we talked about how how uh, Anderson has prescribed blue pills, uh, you know, uh, and that that's and and him him not taking that medication is a big part of this movie and and that's that's something that does not sit well with me generally whenever there's like a plot point in a movie where a person who is taking prescription medicine decides not to and suddenly their life is better be because in many cases like in 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 the real world sometimes you really need that medicine yeah definitely it's like uh, i remember we kind of touched on that with the new rambo movie yeah. Yeah. Where it's yeah. like he's off his meds and off the chain, you know. It's like no, no, no. You should probably listen to your doctor. But um, that, that's some symbolism that I think should should have been, and 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 that and that's another thing that kind of that kind of doesn't sit well with me is that is that the main villain is his therapist who's just lying to him the whole time and manipulating him and like, well, maybe maybe they should have made the shitty tech CEO the the villain. I mean, admittedly, that's predictable, but that's very true to life it it does not sit well with me that the only that especially with the pandemic going on the only medical professional in this movie is the bad guy <laughs> i know uh there i feel like there's like a little east like a little sly way to reference that like <laughs> listen to your doctor people that that should have been like the after credits have a know? psa over the end credits <laughs> yes exactly well, well that's 
That's you know that's kind of what I, what I thought was going to happen with all the, the the meal they make about well it's not really a binary at the beginning. I thought he was going to take both pills at once and that that was going to do something, but the but he didn't. But the other thing that that this just goes into script mechanics. Um, so the original Matrix, there was a whole thing about how you needed these access points to get in and out of the Matrix, and they took the form of phone booths. Uh, and there's a thing about how, well, in this version of the Matrix, we don't have to do that. But they never explain what they have to do. And as a result, like, they they only leave the Matrix when the script says they can. And so I don't know when I'm supposed to be concerned about whether or not they can get out or not. Because it seems like they can leave whenever they want until suddenly they can't. Well, I think the phone booth thing was like you had to be you had to like make contact with some form of telecommunications, whereas nowadays we're just all online all the time. But, but yeah, so I but, think that's the kind of like loophole there. But 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 well, one one we don't see that one it's never expressed, and two there's plenty of times in this movie where if if that's how you have to get out, why didn't they just whip out their phone and get out? Right. Yeah, I think it's just. Uh, like the advent of like Wi-Fi in the in in the years passing since the first film is kind of like a enables you to just kind of just you know pop it and out uh, at your leisure. Right. So, I mean, overall, Matrix Resurrections. Ah, can't speak. Resurrections. I I I liked it. I think it's a bit long in the tooth. I don't like a lot of movies. I don't think they need to be two and a half hours, which seems to be the average. Yeah, there's like some the fat that could have been trimmed here. Some fat could have been trimmed here or there, but I think I, I like that it takes chances. I like that it's um I was never bored during it really. And yeah. I, I that's that's something. And it it's it's more bold, more brave than I thought it would would be. And for that I would say sequel yes to Matrix Resurrections. Uh, Alex. Yeah, big time sequel yes. I had a lot of fun watching this. And it was just like, I love that, like, no fucks given approach. Um, they're just going to make the movie they want to make. And it was a lot of fun to watch and pick apart all the little Easter eggs and references and shit. And one quick one I wanted to touch on was that Chad, um, uh, Trinity, not Trinity's husband, is oh, yeah. Chad Stahelski, the director of John Wick and stunt coordinator extraordinaire, which I thought was pretty cool. And he's oh, also Keanu Reeves' uh, double in the original Matrix trilogy. Yeah, yeah. So that was pretty That's awesome. Fun. But yeah, definitely a sequel. Yes, I enjoyed this quite a bit. Uh, I, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it as well. It's, it's a sequel. Yes, for me, there is fat that could be trimmed. I never looked at my watch during this, during this movie, but my wife did. Um, so it, <laughs> it, it, I, there is, it does not need, it does not need to be this long. I do not think it successfully reclaims any of the the imagery or symbolism that's been co-opted by so many shitty people in the two decades since the original film <laughs> but it it is what it is it is true to itself it is true to lana wachowski's vision overall this is this is a this is a worthwhile film i think it i think it should be watched it should be it should be if, if you like to read films like uh, like uh, i would presume we all the three of us do it is it is well worth watching and reading and really kind of like taking it and thinking about this is this is the first movie that has premiered on streaming uh, that I want to rewatch. Like I have a feeling that I'm that sometime in the next week I'm going to sit down and watch this again oh, and, definitely. Really, and really take it in. I, I think it's it is a movie despite its flaws and it does have flaws. It is very much worth seeing. But also, too, is that given the amount of time between the first trilogy and also 
the amount of like you know weird baggage that came with the Animatrix and the Matrix trilogy. This is as, and this isn't meant to sound disparaging, but this is as, as good as it's gonna get. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you're not gonna <laughs> mm-hmm. be able to really top this one. Like, go out on a high note. Stop here. Exactly. Yeah. And, I, and I do feel like, in a referential way, the movie's saying, like, you got your Matrix sequel now. Shut the fuck up. Let's okay, I just noticed something. The poster of of for Matrix Resurrections, it has at the bottom, like, you know, Christmas. Shouldn't it be Easter? Hey. Yeah. I also think Christmas perhaps is not the best time to release a big action movie like this. But what do I know? Because they've done, they've made, you know, the Marvel stuff has been successful, but I think that's kind of an anomaly. Um, I mean, even even the original Matrix came out uh, in the end of March, which is a weird time to release. But yeah, especially I, I, at that time, that was pretty. And it unusual. stayed in theaters forever. forever. Oh yeah. yeah, that was so cool. Back when movies could do that. Yeah, right. It was also the uh, very thoughtless present from Anthony Soprano to his mother. I don't know if you guys remember that in the Sopranos. No, I don't. It's Carmela's birthday, and she just gets a... He, Anthony hands her a DVD of The Matrix in, like, a Walmart bag, and she's like, The Matrix, I haven't seen it. <laughs> <laughs> that that does seem like a DVD everyone owned, though, or it oh, came totally. free with your DVD player. Like Many, many did, yes. And, and before that, you had the bootleg for The Matrix on two CD-ROMs. That looked like shit. That was like oh, like the VCDs, frame. yeah, yeah, yeah. That that was a, a popular item. Um, all right. Well, it's a full-throated discussion of Matrix Resurrections. I expect nothing less. Um, uh, do we want to do pitch a sequel? I I suppose we have to. <laughs> okay, why not? Because yeah. it's not like okay. So I guess I I I'll, I'll start as I as we usually do. Um, so with this end of the Matrix resurrections it will um this uh the sequel to it will it'll start with a, a black screen and, and you see the code of the matrix as it zooms into it as all these movies start and then you you uh you hear something you hear uh voices of um Lawrence Fishburne and Hugo Weaving the original agent smith and morpheus talking and we see it it's them talking to their agents complaining how they're not in the matrix resurrections <laughs> and, and this is a low budget like completely set in the real world movie about uh them trying to retroactively be in the last sequel through like cgi or face replacement or voiceovers <laughs> and it's like a, it's a hollywood satire that doesn't have many special effects and it's it's all handheld camera. It's filmed in like the glorious LA sunshine with a lot of traffic and stuff. And it would just be kind of like swimming with sharks meets the Matrix. It's like Andy Warhol's Matrix. Yeah, and it would be called just like the Matrix reflected. <laughs> Thrasher. So I want to do uh, I want to do a Matrix that is uh, self parody, where uh, it's about. It's about uh, a bunch of people who were freed from the Matrix, who were also, for this particular iteration of the Matrix, who were also fans of the Matrix video games that existed inside the Matrix, and basically decide, well, how hard could it be? Let's blow some minds and free some people. And it's about these these people with very few skills stealing an ion craft and uh, hacking into the Matrix to try to to try to rescue people, but. They they're basically cosplaying as Matrix characters, but they're not good at any of the things that the Matrix characters are good at. So it's really 
it's really a farce and it's very much slapstick because the only thing they're really good at is that you can't truly be hurt because it's not really your body in the matrix. So they're always falling off of stuff, getting the crap beaten out of them, uh, always making situations worse, uh, trying to interact with people mysteriously, but it always comes off as really, really bad improv. Um, but they're being tailed by a program uh, that is supposed to sort of like learn that's supposed to learn from people to help spot other like people hacking into the matrix. But because he's following them, like a lot of predictive AIs, he learns all the wrong lessons and starts like turning against the other security programs. <laughs> and that's really the only victory they have is that they help this program escape. They That's the irony. They don't help a single human being escape the matrix. They help this program escape the matrix. And I'm going to call it matrix ridiculous. <laughs> Very good. And, uh, Alex. So, um, after Trin and Neo fly off, they, uh, they they go back to IO and then they realize that there's like a disturbance in the force. I mean, Matrix, and um, they have to go back to rescue another pod person. And this pod person turns out to be Lana Wachowski. So Lana Wachowski in the movie, as uh, you know, been you know reborn in the in into the real world to deliver the horrible news that uh, men's rights activists have co-opted the red pill uh, saying <laughs> in their stupid like Reddit forums. So what they do is that they use the internet to like teleport into like the homes of uh to like the the wi-fi you know airspace of men men's rights activists and basically just blow them away but it turns out that there's another engineer creating these people and it's none other than um the, the QAnon shaman <laughs> oh, oh so they I have to see go that, that sure. and basically you know thwart men's rights activists and the and the QAnon cabal and can, it'd be can called... he be played by jonah hill or, yes, or definitely. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, it would be a, a Matrix 4.2 uh, Reloaded. <laughs> nice. Well, very good. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see if we... I, I'm sure there'll be more Matrix in our future one way or another, and it does oh, yeah. shock me at the time uh, in 99 when the, when the Matrix came out. You had a lot of Saturday morning cartoons based on theatrical films. And I could, and the way that Men in Black cartoon looked, it made me think, I wonder if there was ever, a, if those animate, if the team that did that ever pitched a Matrix Saturday morning cartoon series. I'm sure that, somebody did. Right. With that angular look that's not quite anime, but you know what I'm talking about, Thrasher? It was also like in Extreme Ghostbusters and... Like the Boondocks? The F Phantom 2024, I think it was. No, not not the Boondocks, really, but it was not not Eon Flux weird looking with the face, but it was just really a kind of American anime sort of, I don't know, like anime on the cheap sort of look. Well, th yeah, that's it a... looks like fake anime, yeah. Th that was, th that's a specific, that's a specific designer that that that, mm -hmm. that was sort of his style there's multiple shows that that use it i'm actually i'm trying to find that design godzilla it was one yeah charles Napier maybe it was all was sony it. cartoons come to think of it hmm. oh here here we go uh mil uh miliganazo prado okay yeah no offense Matt, but it was just I looked at his style and I thought, you know, I bet you someone, it looks very matrixy to me. Or I'm sorry, uh, Miguel Alonso Prado. That's that's his name. 
Or, yeah, he's, yeah. A, he's a Spanish comic book uh, artist and painter, and like that's that's his sort of design. Uh, There's a Game Boy Color game of Men in Black, the series two. That's no. There's a lot of men in. They didn't make. I mean, every Men in Black anime I think is not very good, and they didn't make as many as you would suspect, given the four se- four seasons. Wow. Ran from '97 really? to 2001. There's also a mummy cartoon that lasted not that long. And a King oh. Kong cartoon. <laughs> the, it, the Godzilla one's actually pretty good based off the 90s film um, with Matthew Broderick, but I'm ahead of myself. Let's go on to what you're watching. I saw a movie. It's um, I bet you it's going to get Oscar nominations as of this recording. It's uh, January 16th, 2022, so we don't quite know who the nominees are going to be, but that's going to be announced pretty soon here. Um, this is uh, currently airing uh, as of this recording on Hulu in the United States. It stars Nicolas Cage. Uh, that doesn't narrow it down, though. It's called Pig. Ah. Filmed uh, out here where I live in Portland, Oregon. I recognize some of the filming locations. And it was, uh, it's, a, it's a really low-budget drama. And while, yes, it's about Nicolas Cage as a man who lives in the woods and someone steals his pig and he goes to track it down, it's not, uh, the trailers make it seem kind of like uh, John Wick or something, and it's not. It, it, it's, a, I mean, there, there's some action, but it's more of like a thoughtful kind of uh, elegiac uh, kind of movie about grief and thoughtfulness. And it, it was one of the best things I've seen in a while. It's a very quiet kind of tender movie. And Nicolas Cage gives the kind of performance he he can give when he so chooses. Yeah, it's like that performance, like we all know he's capable of giving, but we only get it once in a while. Like Mandy was one of those, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Have you seen this one, Alex? No, I keep hearing great things about it, though. It sounds awesome. It is very good. I think I think both of you would would like it. And as someone that lives in Portland, it's it was nice to see a movie. Um, looks like it was filmed in the fall, but you get a lot of the rain and the gloom. And mostly when Portland is in stuff, which isn't too often, like Portlandia was probably the most famous thing shot out here, a TV show. Um, it was filmed in the summer because, of course, it looks beautiful in the summer, but it's not most of the time. It's gloomy and rainy. And I still don't like the rain out here. And I've been here uh, more than any city in my life at this point, barely in like 15 years or something. <laughs> but it is a real part of the character of the city. And I think it captures Portland accurately in that regard. So Pig. It's uh, it's what's for dinner. It yeah the the other white meat the other white um, meat might. I am looking forward to Nicolas Cage and Dracula. Oh, I can't wait for that one where he plays Dracula and Nicholas Holt as Renfield. Have you heard about that, Alex? Oh hell yes, I'm stoked for that. And it's it's directed by one of the um, people that did Spider Verse, isn't it? Or no, is it that one of the Lord Brothers or who's the director on that one? I you know I'm not sure. So yeah. Some big person in comedy, but anyhow, um, uh, Thrasher, what's uh, what's your what you're watching? So I I saw something amazing. It is a it is a horror comedy directed by Ivan Reitman. It's written by Daniel Goldberg, who was a writer on Meatballs, Stripes, Heavy Metal. Uh, he's also produced a lot of comedies. He produced the Hangover films, uh, which we covered on this show. It is starring 
Uh, and and this okay, and it's called Cannibal Girls, and it's about Cannibal Girls, and it stars from SCTV Andrea Martin and Eugene Levy. Hmm. This is all very very early in their careers. It was all made in and around Canada. It is set uh, in Canada, uh, and it and it's and it's shot very so much like a Herschel Gordon Lewis movie. It has to be a tribute to those kinds of movies. Uh, and so if you if you want to see early 1970s uh, Eugene Levy with his big poofy hair and his dangly mustache, he looks like Gene Shalit. This is the movie for you. What's the name of it? Cannibal Girls, uh, released. Oh, in oh, Comedy Central ni- used to show this a lot. Really, I didn't know that. It came out in 1973. Uh-huh. It is a delight. The way it just kind of oscillates between being comedy and horror, but it's very much the comedy of the mundane. Uh, it even says, like in the credits, uh, while it does have a screenplay, most of the dialogue was improvised. So, so when there are there are scenes where Andrea Martin and Eugene Levy play off of each other delightfully, uh, and are clearly sort of like making stuff up and and will inject unexpected comedy into scenes, uh, and and it pulls one thing that it does is that it's one of the few films that pulls off and it was all the dream moment. <laughs> I love that. And and it's just and it's just like delightful and the gore is good. Uh, the the what little music it has is very very creepy. I love the leader of the cannibal cult who's very like he's he's camp in a way the rest of this movie is not. The movie plays things mostly straight, even with the comedy because it's the comedy of the mundane. Except for him. And like, there's this great bit where he's giving a tour of his den and all like the family artifacts. And there's all these tragic stories behind. Oh, yes. And this sword belonged to my great, great grandfather. He was the executioner to the King of France. And one day he was going to behead an innocent man. But just before it came down, his hand slipped and he dropped the sword on his own neck and it killed him. (laughs) It's just so great. It is cannibal girls if you can find this you need to watch it it is a delightful film yeah i definitely need to check this out and and i love i love the uh oh and like the poster it's great the picture with the warning bell when it rings close your eyes if you're squeamish these girls do exactly what you think they do cannibal girls Right, I mean, some of Ivan Reitman's uh, other films, he has Cannibal Girls on on um, theatrical uh, posters. Uh, what the hell do you call it? Yeah, on the marquees, right. Um, <laughs> I'm looking here about this Nicolas Cage Dracula thing you were talking about earlier, and uh, I guess the writer of it, Ryan Ridley, he worked on both uh, the, the brief show Ghosted and Rick and Morty. Hmm. Oh, cool. So I think... Yeah, the humor is probably going to be um, out there, and I'm also excited for another Nicolas Cage thing, not to make this Nicolas Cage cast, but there's uh, a thing he did called The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, where the trailer just came out for that, and it's about, have you, either of you heard of this? No, I haven't. And it, So it's about uh, Nicolas Cage plays himself, and a fan uh, says he'll pay him a million dollars if he comes to his birthday. But while that happens... There is also a, a, a nearby drug lord uh, compound is under attack by the CIA. And so Nicolas Cage 
is just a regular, is just himself, but he has to act like an action movie hero to help him in this fan. And it's just absurd. And uh, the fan is played by, oh, the guy that plays the Mandalorian. Um, what's his name? Whoa. But yeah, it, it just it just looks ridiculous and over the top and meta. And Nicolas Cage in a recent interview said he's not going to, he usually doesn't watch his movies, but he's not going to watch that one because that would be too much for one Nicolas Cage. A cage divided amongst oneself. Okay. All right, that's fine. I cut out. Um, I can cut that part if I need to. It stars. I think we can keep going. Pedro Pascal, yeah. absolutely. It's too much Nicolas Cage anyway. Um, Alex, what have you been watching? <laughs> well, since we referenced it earlier and it's fresh in my mind, I went ahead to the movie theater and saw the latest Paul Thomas Anderson joint, Licorice Pizza. It did it have like a, a complimentary like food tasting of pizza <laughs> with your choice of black or red licorice on, it's on like a, it's like they, they they made a list of food and they told someone to circle their like the worst and best things ever um <laughs> <laughs> but ironically the title's got nothing to do with the movie that i could tell um i love this though i i loved it big time it's just kind of it's a total hangout movie Set in the 70s, it's um, not unlike Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Like if uh, you mm. like that kind of vibe of like... So a lot of driving around. A lot of driving, a lot of running. Everyone's running in this movie. Um, yeah, but it's like, it's one of the few times where it can kind of capture like growing pains and young love and nostalgia without being wanky and annoying about it. It's like, it's a very like, it's a very stressful movie. Like if you don't like tense situations or like, kind of awkward interactions and this is not the movie for you there's a lot of that though like a lot of like awkward social interactions and there's a lot of just kind of like like uh, it's a very overused word but a lot of like cringy moments a lot of like hard to sit through conversations but it's like that weird level of suspense that paul thomas anderson's been getting into lately where it's like you know it's like did you did either you see a uh, phantom thread no, I haven't seen that yet. There's like moments where like someone's buttering their fucking toast and you're like, like on fucking pins and needles. Um, and it's a lot of weird stuff like that. Huh. And it's a tone that like I thought I didn't, well, I didn't know really existed. Honestly, it's very distinctive. And um, I think uh, bears the authorship of its director, Paul Thomas Anderson. But right. it's it's a very fascinating movie that like, it's very simple to explain. I mean, it's about a love story between a 15 year old child actor and a older woman who's like in her mid twenties. And it's like, kind of just like this weird, imperfect frenemy, best friend lover thing, you know? And it's, um, just kind of a will they, won't they kind of thing. Um, and it's, 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 it's hard to explain, but it's not, but it's a fascinating movie. I would really encourage anyone to go see it. And, um, I don't get very precious about the theater experience, but I don't know seeing in the theater was the right way to go. So I am just curious, uh, what kind of a theater did you see it at? Was it like an art house or? Uh... I guess you could call it that. It's it's an independent owned one um, out mm -hmm. of Berkshire. So there's like a few of them. Uh, Good. Mean, and how many how many people were in the theater? Oh, more than I thought. I mean, oh, it was yeah? Saturday night, but my my sense of time is just all fucking wickety wackety. There's sure. probably like twelve people, which is a lot for us out here. Okay. Yeah. yeah, like I've never sat in a full theater before in my life. Mm. I um, when I saw Spider Man, that was 
stupid crowded. Uh, and I honestly didn't really feel comfortable. Um, but when I saw Spiral, when I saw uh, the Cruella DeVille thing, there was like, I would say less than two dozen people. Yeah, like two dozen would be like a full house for like a Berkshire movie huh. theater. Okay. <laughs> Even like pre-pandemic times. Like I think the biggest, the most crowded theater I was in was probably like fucking Ninja Turtles, I think. And it was like, no, it was Interstellar, I'd say. And there was probably like maybe like over half full, slightly over half full. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the worst experience so... I've had. Oh, go on, Thrasher. Well, just just that, you know, you you said that like the title came out of nowhere. Licorice pizza uh, was used to be a slang term for for vinyl records. And in fact, that was the name of the record store where Matt Groening used to work when he was, I think, like in high school or uh, hmm. when he was a, or when he was like in his early 20s. And stoned people would always call trying to order pizza. So it's not a reference to vinyl records. There's a lot of needle drops throughout. It's like. Scorsese level needle droppy so that might have something to do with it because there's a lot I mean like I want to buy the soundtrack album like just as bad as I want to buy the blu-ray for the movie so that could be a thing because there's a big time like they even have like a special dedication in the the credits like featuring songs by you know the James gang and blah 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 blah, 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 and every other important 70s group ever it sounds like one of those movies where it's probably a double album Oh, totally. Neat. Yeah, no, I've been meaning to... I didn't even know that it was in theaters, but I was seeing nothing but positive reviews. And frankly, I need to... I haven't seen a Paul Thomas Anderson movie since... Um, did you do The Master? Yeah, The Master. Yeah, like... I think I that was think, the last one I saw. Yeah, like, Everyone Hates Inherent Vice. That's probably one of my favorite movies ever made. Um, but I'm also kind of a hippie noir weirdo so that kind of like really speaks to me um but uh yeah licorice pizza and phantom said he's doing some really interesting unique um movie making and i'm 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 totally into it awesome yeah it's um it's neat that both you know he was one of the darlings of the late 90s indies movement and same with um Oh, this is killing me in my brain today. Uh, the director of Requiem for a Dream is another one. And that, that, oh, yeah, Darren yeah. Aronofsky. Thank you, Aronofsky, Darren Aronofsky. And that they both keep on releasing stuff that's just could only come from them, I think, is really inspiring because you see a lot of indie movie directors. They might do one or two, and then they do a lot of franchise stuff or they just see, just see them do television, which there's nothing wrong with that. I think probably the better stuff is on television Yeah, uh, nowadays. Right. Yeah, like with Darren Aronofsky, like I really like Mother. I think that's like I love Mother. And yeah, a lot of I thought people that was hated so. that. Did you see that Thrasher? Mm, yes, actually, yes, I have seen Mother. <laughs> did you like it? Oh, overall, I did, but that's not that's not the kind of movie I'm likely to watch again anytime soon. It yeah, is, it's it is it is disturbing in a way so many horror movies aren't, and it's almost it. I would almost say it's disturbing in the way that you can only be disturbing unintentionally, except I know absolutely everything you're seeing on screen is deliberate. That's a good way to put it. Definitely. And, and it has that same kind of chaotic, uh, horror. And with the sound design in particular, that Requiem for a dream had, I think, mm. and that there's all this crazy shit and it starts out pretty crazy and it just gets crazier from there, but it's not for the sake of being crazy. Like you said, it's all carefully planned. 
and uh, and there you go. So um, we just talked about the Matrix reload, not reloaded. God damn it! I hate these titles in these movies. <laughs> they all begin with R. Resurrection. They're the pirate sequels. <laughs> Matrix. They're great. Um, the Matrix Resurrection. We'll uh, start talking a new series of films next week with uh, the Toxic Avenger. After years and also this other episode, we are finally, finally, finally going to talk about the world's greatest superhero from New Jersey. <laughs> nice. That's right. So, um, for sequel cast two, this is Matt. Oh, shit. I should plug myself, huh? <laughs> <laughs> it's been too long, dude. Uh, for um, Follow me on Twitter at M-A-T-W-B-T. My uh, latest book, uh, How to Buy a PlayStation 5, uh, Results Not Guaranteed, is available on uh, Amazon. But MATWBT.com uh, has links to all that. And uh, follow me. I already said follow me on Twitter. On YouTube, I've been doing uh, reviewing like indie games, getting some keys from indie game developers. So reviewing these were like zero budget games is pretty neat. One was even like a, a weird uh, screensaver experience developed in uh in the netherlands where it's more of like a mood thing um so yeah, that, that's been fun something kind of different that's at uh youtube.com slash sequelcast or twitch.tv slash matwbt and um yeah that's it for that uh treasure all right you can follow me on twitter uh at wt2art uh, I am, uh, not sure what my future convention plans are going to be because we're, we're have, so I don't know where you'll be able to see me because I don't know where you'll be able to see me, but, uh, my latest publication, uh, 100 oddities for an arcane Academy, uh, is not only still available on drive through rpg.com and a number of other, uh, number of other, uh, sites, but we just did a revised edition that includes uh, some some new art that I produced uh, over the holidays. So the book continues to become more robust, but the price did not go up. So uh, check out 100 Oddities for an Arcane Academy on DriveThruRPG or wherever you purchase your uh, tabletop gaming PDFs. And Alex? Uh, let's see. You can follow me on Twitter at crabnebula1914, and um, you can drop by my YouTube channel, The Trailer Project. That is the name of the channel, and where I recently posted a trailer commentary for Norman Mailer's. That's right, Norman Mailer made movies. Um, feature uh, tough guys don't dance. It's uh, it's a trailer project first, and that I'm covering a movie I don't really like, but am fascinated with because it's just a fucking snake pit of bullshit um so yeah check it out at the trailer project very good and like you said uh we're gonna do toxic avenger uh next time so that'll be pretty exciting Sweet. i have seen all four but it's been a long time so uh all right sweet so for sequel cast two this is matt and this is thrasher this is alex saying can you put a leash on that bitch?